Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> it's not greetings, kielbasa. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, and you have another one, too, that came in. You want to try that one? Sure, what's that one? I wrote it down for you. Oh. <laughs> so we get here. Uh, yo, 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 my brewing bros and hoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that not a little, you? A little, a little more enthusiasm. Yo, okay. yo, yo, my brewing bros and hoes. Oh, okay. There you that go. way. Okay. I was I was thinking more like row, row, row your rows and hoes. No, that's a, okay. I, I like the the K pasta kielbasa. I like that one too. Yeah, yeah I like the bros and hoes one. That, that's that's <laughs> that one fits me. I think. Yeah. I guess I could do as a pirate theme. Yeah. Yo yo ho ho. <laughs> anyway. Yo ho ho and a bottle of hoes, bros. And a bottle of beer? Kielbasa? And a bottle of hand sanitizer. <laughs> hand sanitizer. Yeah, well, that's what you get with this fine show. And that's why Blickman Engineering is uh, our sponsor. Yes. He yes. appreciates this high level of comedic value along with, um, you know, very adult, uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> along with information. Yes, and, that's it, the information. We it's are. The inf- it's all about the information. It's all about the knowledge with that guy. Right. That guy's got a got a, a dome full of uh, uh, interesting facts and figures and, uh, and knowledge about problems. solutions to problems. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's always innovating something. That's why I think when I think of Blickman, I think innovation. I think you know, yep. trying to solve problems in a different way. Cool you gadgets. Know, the first time I used the Blickman beer gun, for a matter of fact, um, it's like wow, that is really. A cool solution yeah. to you know a problem where wow that that really works well and it's so easy to use. You know, I, I used a counter pressure filler filled seven, eight, ten thousand bottles with it, mm-hmm. um, no problem. But it took me a while to get used to it, and it's a it can be a tricky contraption to use. Mm-hmm. It, it works just fine. You, three hands you to do just it. need to know how to do it, mm-hmm. and even then, I would still spray a little beer. And then you got to be, you know, you really got to be, you know, the master of working that thing. If you own one, uh, you know, you can you can mm-hmm. make that uh, your life study and figure it out like I did, or uh, you buy yourself a, a Blickman uh, beer engineering beer gun. Uh, go to your local homebrew shop and uh, say, hey, you know, I, I heard about the Blickman engineering uh, beer gun. I want one. You know, uh, call up Blickman for me and get one. Get one ordered ordered into my local homebrew uh, shop. Yep, and, and we'll uh, pick it up. Yeah, and uh, while you're at it, you know, send a, an email to Blickman and tell him how much you appreciate his innovation and also his sponsoring of the show. Yeah, because uh, without him, 
kicking the Quatloos down to uh, to uh, the Brewing Network. Uh, you you wouldn't be able to uh, hear this fine brewing information. <laughs> this fine quality programming. Yeah, that's that's the weakest part of our argument right there, I think. Yeah. All the rest of it makes sense. That, that part doesn't. Well, what this show is going to be is uh, live Q&A, right? Right. Yeah. Wait, like, oh, you ask us, why are you guys so great? <laughs> we, I, mean, uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> Blickman. That's right. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, why don't we we jump right into it and uh, start uh, hammering out some of these uh, questions? You can you can email your questions into uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork dot com, right? And uh, that goes into a folder, and you know we try to get to all of them eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been doing a lot of Q and A and trying to knock them out. But also, if you're listening live, there's a chat room. You go to the uh, brewingnetwork dot com. There's a listen live button, and then there's the uh, chat now. And what that takes you to is an application where you can just type in any name. It doesn't matter. You don't need to pre-register anything. Uh, type in any name for being on the screen. No passwords needed. You get in there, and then you're in a chat room with all people that are listening to the show and chatting about you know what's going on. And you can ask questions there. JP's on the uh, on the uh, case there, and we'll uh, get your uh, questions to us, and uh, we'll answer them or try to answer them. Yeah. All right. Let's hit our first one. First question from the chat. Um, is Jamil going to stay for the session tonight? <laughs> uh, I would like to, but I've been gone since you know Tuesday, so I don't know. just don't think it's in the cards. All right. And Palmer, you have to catch a flight, right? Yeah, I've, I've got to catch right. a flight home. Same All right. Deal. Well, fine. <clears throat> that uh, was your question, wasn't that it? That was my question. That's right. Oh, don't, don't leave. <laughs> right. Come on, guys. Come stay and play. Come on. We'll have a sleepover. Will you popcorn? <laughs> I won't uh, fart this time. Well, no, I'll do that all the time. All right. I've been doing it over here, too. Thank God for windows that open. Uh, this question uh, says, how can non-keggers purge oxygen from headspace in carboys? I do not have a CO2 tank, Blickman gun, or any other kegging bling. I'm a straight-up bottler. If I'm moving beer off yeast into secondary, imperial stouts, big Belgians, etc., how can I purge the headspace and avoid oxidation? Well, um, a fair amount of CO two should come out of solution as you're beer. racking, right? Yeah. For the longest time, I never, I never bothered purging my kegs with CO two. Okay. I just, um, you know, very quietly rack the beer into them, and yeah, CO two comes out of the beer, and uh, it stays on top of the layer of beer as long as you're not agitating the beer. You know, mm-hmm. that little layer of CO two is just getting pushed higher and higher. It doesn't right. blow away, right? Yeah, um, that's I wouldn't freak about it too much. I think. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty reasonable. Right, or you can um, buy yourself, you know, CO two cylinder just with a hose on it and just yeah. blow it in there if you wanted to. Yeah, um, and as as Charlie Banfor says, you know, if you if if you know that up front that you you may have <coughs> have some amount of oxygen going into your package. Mm-hmm. Um, then keep the beer, store the beer as cold as possible. Right. Um, and that will prov- prolong its shelf life mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit over, you know, over other th- uh, factors in right. the, higher up in the brewing process. That's something I always did was store my beer cold. When I store it hot, it, it just, you know, yeah. deteriorates so fast. Right. Yep. Yeah, good question. 
Great. Uh, Blitzkrieg in the chat says uh, the East book was fantastic. Wow. How- but thank you very much. Yeah, but uh, no, uh, East book is fantastic. How is storing and propagating Brett different than uh, than yeast? So he wants to know like growth rates, storage, etc. Ah, uh, well, um, it is different. You know, um, the thing about growing Brett is, uh, you know, it takes a lot of oxygen will make Brett grow a lot, uh, a lot uh, faster and a lot more. Um, you, you get a higher cell count, I believe, with uh, enough oxygen. So in the yeast book, somewhere in there, some page, we talk about growing Brett, and we give the actual uh, measurement of oxygen that they found to be optimum for growing uh, uh, your Brett strains. And uh, as far as storage goes, um, I believe it's you know about the same as your other yeast strains. Maybe they'll last a, a little longer than they will uh, than uh, you know a lot of the regular sack yeasts. Um, what was the other question? Um, uh, uh, growth rates and storage. Temperature growth storage. rates and storage. You know, store cold. You know, just like yeah. you know, as as cold as close to freezing as you can without freezing the uh, the cells is is always best. You know, the the colder you get it, the um, you know, the slower the metabolism, the longer it is going to be able to live off its reserves, things like that. Um, you know, and also uh, slows down mutations and things like that. The colder you, you get those cells, so not much difference. I mean, yeah, there's not, a lot not of handling, a lot. A, whole, a lot of handling similarities. Right. You know, pitching rates, things like that, are different, yeah. and you know, the optimum amount of oxygen for growth um, is different. Things like that. Okay, awesome. Married to the hops wants to know why can't you add yeast, nutrient, and Irish moss at the beginning of the boil? Well, yeast nutrient you can. Um, it's by and large. I mean, the, any, the boiling action is going to maybe break down the compounds further, but it's still it's still assimilable by the yeast. There isn't any uptake or binding in the in the break material or anything like that. Additional, the more it boils around, the more it may bind into the uh, break material. Yeah, that, that's a possibility. Yeah, so hmm. I guess. Yeah, I don't think it matters a yeah. whole huge amount. Yeah. Irish moss, though, I mean, if you add it too far up, it will tend to denature and you'll mm-hmm. lose some of your, your coagulation ability. Um, I think maybe it's instead of looking at it from why can't you, it's um, it's like why can't you, I mean, or look at it as an advantage of these two two items that you can add them at the end of the boil and you will have uh, – potentially the best performance out of each mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. rather than having trying to put them in at the beginning if you just add them right at the end you'll um it's convenient and and you'll get potentially the best performance right okay all right uh jd has a user question for Bruce strong he says in previous Bruce strong shows jameel mentioned that fermenting a five gallon batch in a 14 gallon conical is a bad thing he recommended a seven gallon conical instead he referenced headspace would change the profile of the beer. Uh, but in previous Sunday sessions and Jamil shows, I've heard Jamil and Chris White recommend foil on top of a carboy or fermenter instead of an airlock to lessen the head pressure on fermentation. I'm confused. Are there any white papers or controlled experiment results that document the different flavor profiles 
that have been achieved between fermenting a five-gallon batch and a seven-gallon fermenter and a 14-gallon fermenter? Well, all right. Let me clarify a few things. Um, you know, head space and head pressure are two different things. Uh, you can have a lot of head space and have head pressure. You can have no head pressure and no head space. I mean, you know, so they're, they're different things. It's apples and oranges. The other thing is um, if you are uh, talking about, and I think if we're talking about the, you know, larger conicals, the problem is um, the temperature, when you have the temperature probe and the, the temperature pack on the outside and all the, the, uh, the cooling, uh, peltier cooling and all that, you can't put just a tiny bit of uh, wort in there and expect all that to work properly. So that's that's kind of you know I think where I was coming from on that. But maybe we got into the fact that it'll also change flavors in in other ways. But um, uh, what brewery was I just at um, talking to where they uh, they actually do they have like f- fifteen barrel fermenters and they're putting like seven barrels in and it's just barely it didn't it didn't even usually reach the sample port and mm-hmm. uh they said that it's kind of tricky because again you know temperature control it does change things yeah. they're essentially just using it to uh do some small small batch stuff so you can do it and it's not like the end of the world but uh just anything you change you know ratios of height to width is probably more important than um you know how much headspace is over something? Yeah, because you can get a, um, you know, it's not headspace, but you know your 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 surface area is going to be much much uh, more compared to the depth of your beer. That has a bigger effect on fermentation flavor than, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's open above it, it's open above it. It really doesn't matter. Right, that's true. So. Maybe maybe that just wasn't clear in the previous one, but that's that's essentially what we're we're talking about is ratios and uh, you know the the cooling uh, that's uh, available on there, um, you know, sampling things like that. Those are tend to be the issues. Great. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, this email is from Atomic Punk. Uh, He says, I've got the basics down of yeast starters, but still not 100% comfortable with doing steps. I've listened to the yeast starter show a couple of times, and the guys all mention they do steps when they needed, uh, they do steps when needed for big beers or lagers. Mm -hmm. There are posts and discussion out there on doing steps, but I'd sure love to hear the experts give us their process. How do you size the steps to target your goal of number of yeast cells? At what point would you make it more? God, dude. Sorry. At what point would it make more sense to brew a smaller beer and just repitch the yeast cake into the big beer? And is there a chance of overpitching by doing that? Thanks, and brew strong. Well, you know, as far as a smaller beer, you know, it makes sense to do that when you're doing so many steps or using so much material to make all this starter. Mm-hmm. You should probably just make a smaller beer, you know, just financially and number of handlings. You know, you're better off making a smaller beer. You know, as far as you know, number of steps. I, I always advocate the the fewest steps possible is generally better, just because you're less chances of or less times you're introducing additional contamination to it. The more you handle it, the more contamination you're going to end up with, and you're really kind of defeating the purpose of of you know coming up with a clean, healthy starter. 
Um, you can do your starter in numerous ways. You know, you can actually, you know, ferment it out, uh, settle out the yeast, pour off the spent wort, add new wort back, and and go like mm-hmm. that. Or you can just add to the volume with new wort, and you know, keep keep increasing the volume that way. Or you can actually keep the volume about the same and add a concentrated wort. Uh, you know, not just thick malt extract, but concentrated work to keep bumping the gravity up to, you know, around 10 Plato, 9 Plato, mm-hmm. or, you know, even last 8 Plato, and you just keep adding a little bit of concentrated work every, you know, 12 or 18 hours, however long it is uh, for it to drop. You just keep knocking it back up. And I believe that's... Um, Something that uh, I don't want to say stone, but I, I think Mitch was mentioning something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So um, you can, uh, you know, do it that way as well. But the the point is to keep your handling to a minimum. Uh, you know, is ideal. All right, Sex Panther in the forum, mm-hmm. uh, or rather the chat asks: Are there any reasons why fresh commercial yeast packages couldn't be kept for longer term storage, i.e., a year? In a home freezer. Uh, yeah, there's a number of reasons. Um, you know, in freezing yeast, freezing yeast, and yeah, there's this book called Yeast, a Practical <laughs> Guide. Never heard of it. Um, and it talks about freezing yeast in, in a fair amount of detail. There's one like bonehead on that put an Amazon review out there that says it doesn't say anything about freezing yeast. It's like, well, it covers it in pretty good detail. And uh, it's got all the steps. It's got all the information you really need to freeze yeast, including some information uh, somebody pointed me to from uh, up in Washington. Where they did this study on uh, freezing yeast with uh, glycerol. Essentially, you're you're mixing glycerol and a little bit of nutrient with the yeast. You you clean the yeast out, pack it down to a little pellet, and then you add back the glycerol and the nutrient. And um, <clears throat> the traditional mix. Um, you go ahead and put that in, you know, the minus eighty C freezer, and it pretty much stops all the mutations, and that's why they, they use something that cold. But it kills off a good percentage of the yeast when you're trying to bring it back, and uh, essentially, I guess it desiccates the, the yeast cells. We've talked about that in there as well. Um, the uh, but the interesting thing was a study up in Washington. It was done on wine yeast, but if you increase the amount of glycerol, so the uh, uh, yeast does not f- actually freeze uh, solid, uh, the viability or the recovery of cells is much, much higher. You get a lot more cells back. And you do this, uh, you increase the uh, glycerol level so it doesn't freeze, and you do it at minus uh, 20, which is like a, a regular freezer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a big fancy freeze, and you do it there, and the yeast cells don't freeze. Now, mutation rate is going to be higher at that higher temperature, but it's still pretty darn slow yeah, at those low. temps. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a really great way to go. The reason why you can't do this with a, a Y-Yeast pack or a White Labs vial is you throw that in the freezer, the cells are just going to freeze, they're going to dry out, they're going to desiccate, and it's going to it's going to kill them. I used to think it was uh, ice crystals forming, but uh, again, a guy from uh, I can't remember the guy's name or where he's from, but he pointed me to inf- explain to me, 
you know that it wasn't uh actual uh, the crystals and all that but it's actually the uh the yeast just uh dehydrate i guess when they're frozen it mm. just sucks the moisture out of them that that's what kills them Interesting. yeah i thought that was fascinating too and um <clears throat> so um that's why you can't just put that in there you'll just kill all the cells you won't i mean I suppose there's a chance you could get a, a cell or two back out, but um, you, you're pretty much just killing the product. Now, you could take that, um, open it up, mix it with the proper amount of glycerol and nutrient, and then uh, put it in another container or you know somehow reseal that container. I doubt it. And then, uh, and then freeze that in your freezer, and that should be good for uh, you know a year or two. You should be able to recover a fair number of cells to get started. You wouldn't be able to just – it wouldn't be pitchable anymore. Right. That's for sure. You'd have to do some growth. Yeah. On a plate. Uh, yeah, or Grab. just a, a you know a low-gravity starter to, to kick it up. Oh, okay. A lot of people will freeze, um, uh, you know, like a centrifuge tube, and then they'll just put the – instead of just trying to harvest it up and plate it and all that, they'll just dump the whole thing into, uh, you know, 30 mils of 1020 or uh, – you know, five plate of wort and grow that and then they'll just keep mm. stepping it up. And they'll, you know, when they do make their 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 uh, frozen samples, they'll just do a whole bunch. So, you know. Makes sense. Yeah, and then ideally you want to plate it out and do test batches and test to see, um, you know, lab test batches just to see what the – are the flavors right? Is the attenuation right? You know, has right. it changed? This is what somebody like White Labs or White Yeast would do. And they they really need to make sure that what they're pulling out of, of storage is exactly what their customers are expecting. Mm-hmm. For a home brewer, I think it's you know I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, well, I mean, especially if you know you're doing that to save money on yeast, right? So right, you know, I think uh, you're going to spend way more money, you know, making different yeast starters and comparing the the taste results to see if that is right, still right. viable. Exactly. Know, another, yeah, another you know, storing yeast yourself. You know, I used to do it a lot, and I pretty much don't anymore unless it's a strain I can't get. Yeah. And usually you can pretty much get more yeast strains than you really can shake a stick at. I mean, try brewing with all the strains that are out there first and, you know, then then go into, you know, doing your own. And, right. But if you get a kick out of it, then that's that's as cool a hobby as... It's like collecting stamps. Collecting stamps. It, it sure but is. you can actually use these. Right. Well, you can use the stamps, Yeah. You know? That one with Hitler's face on it, you know, mail a postcard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Here's one uh, that I, I kind of don't even understand, and, and that's how you know it's complicated. Uh, after, after listening to the high-gravity discussions on the Brewing Network, I'm still curious about an option that Randy Mosier discusses briefly in his book, Radical Brewing. The question relates to using wort, say, uh, 1040, rather than water as sparge liquor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there a mathematical equation or even an approximation that I can use to calculate the pre-boil gravity of a wort that has been run through two separate batches of a presumably identical dry grain bill? The principle here is that the wort created from the first mash is then used as the liquor for the second mash, thereby increasing the sugar concentration in a given volume of wort. I'm pretty sure that it's not going to be a linear equation. Uh, as a significant amount of the wort from the first mash and its sugars are going to be absorbed by the dry grain used in the second mash. Likewise, there has to be a maximum concentration of sugars that can be dissolved into any wort with the existing sugar concentration and wort temperature certainly being two of the factors. 
I want to increase the amount of my fermentables in my wort without having to boil the hell out of it. Mm. Dry malt extract. Yeah. Well, right, well, it's funny let's, you say that because he goes, and no, I don't want to just add a bunch of DME. <laughs> I'm a goddamn all-grain brewer. Yeah, DME, so, comes, DME comes from, from grain. I, I don't know if if he recognizes that uh no uh let's uh let's do this let's take a short break and when we come back palmer will have the formula all calculated oh. out for you right okay back after this from the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand most homebrewers follow some version of this progression with each move a homebrewer will often have to change a lot if not all of their equipment until now blickman engineering brings you the top tier brewing stand the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Hi. I have a sixer of Lagunitas in the icebox. My roommate's gone for the weekend, and I'm wearing something flimsy. Listen, baby. I told her not to call me after 8. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I gotta go. Who is that? Your girlfriend? You loser. Shut up, thug. Did you guys get the cauldron set up on the altar of my yard? Sir, if you weren't so busy getting booty calls, you'd know that. The hurricane furnace is using propane while you guys talk. All right, I'm using the scroll of Mosher to boil the first decoction. Nope, it's scorched. What do you do? Frack, scoop it out and try again. Thug, use your math rake. You took too long. The color is now dark and past the point where you can still call it a pilsner. Yes, sir. I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this, Poindexter Urkel? Dude, can't you see we're in the middle of a brew session? Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. (gasps) Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you belch White Labs 833 and crap Simcoe? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping. Only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Cylon-detecting three-hearted and the collector's item super all. Mine's in mint condition because it's still in the box. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. Whether I'm making me dry stout or rebuilding me kegs, I head to the heart of dear Dublin for me homebrewing supplies. You head all the way back to Emerald Isle just for a wee batch of grain or a bit of keg tubing? No, you moronic waste to liver. Dublin, California. I go to HopTech. For 30 years, HopTech in Dublin, California has been supplying homebrewers with malt extract, fresh grains, hops, spices and sugars, hop oils and extracts, and much more. HopTech is one of the first homebrew supply shops on the internet and is proud to offer a Award-winning beer kits, both online and in their store. Mention the BN Army for a 10% discount off your order. The store is open every day except Wednesday or shop online at hoptech.com anytime. Hoptech is run by passionate, award-winning brewers who live, love, and travel for beer and bring their experience to
to the store for you. If you don't want to visit Dublin, just call toll-free 800-DRY-HOPS or go to hoptech.com. Visit HopTech today in Dublin, California and at hoptech.com. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska, in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Ewa, what's your feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Chef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. And I wanted to uh, bring to you again a little segment I like to call What You Don't Know About My Friend John Palmer. It is said, it is said, he is a master of drinking straw wrapper origami. Mm. <coughs> My friend True. John Palmer. All right. Uh, Q&A, we were, before the break, uh, somebody brought up uh, an interesting question about um, uh, sparging, sparging with, uh, with a uh, sugared liquor. Yeah. And um, what kind of uh, result you could expect from it mm-hmm. as far as, uh, let's say, you know, your... Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. You know, trying to trying to uh, increase the gravity of your runnings mm-hmm. by um, sparging with, uh, say, the the second runnings of a previous batch. Mm-hmm. Um, the example given is, uh, you know, if if you're going to sparge a, a new grist with 1040 or use or use 1040 liquor as your as your hot liquor going to make that mash, mm-hmm. uh, what gravity would you end up with? Um, the gravity of first runnings depends on your grist to malt ratio. And so if we just call that uh, grist ratio 2, you know, uh, 2 quarts per pound, or uh, that which, which equates to roughly um, 4 liters per kilogram, uh, you get a gravity of about 1077 as your first runnings gravity. Now... If you make that up using 1040 wort as opposed to just plain water, um, there, I guess a maximum you could expect would be that 40 plus the 77 or 1011, mm-hmm. 7, 
Mm-hmm. Um, 10, 12, roughly 10, 12, well, it depends or on a 1. Lot of 1. 1.12. Factors of your mash efficiency as well. And, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's going to be some inhibition of the, of the dissolution, leaching of sugars from the grain. Right. So um, probably the maximum would be the uh, 1.12, if I, yeah, 1.120 uh, is an upper limit um, at that two quarts per pound. Um, your probably, your actual will probably be closer to, say, one point one one. Well, and um, you know, if uh, somebody wants to do all these experiments and uh, you know come up with uh, the actual numbers that they get, so mm-hmm. we could work up a formula for them uh, based yeah. off of those numbers. But you you just have to uh, you know it's going to be based off of each individual system so and uh, methods. So if you want to. Uh, you know, pass along some data. We can we can crunch some numbers for you. Had you heard of anybody doing this kind of thing before? Or? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I haven't done it myself, but really. yeah, great. All there right, there you go. One thing I wanted to mention. Oh, we're coming up uh, Cleveland International Beer Fest. That's right. Yes, May thirteenth and fourteenth. Just a couple weeks away. Yeah, I don't know if that's already passed by the time you listen to this. It may have. Yeah. No, we get all like, well, maybe, I don't know. It no. May, it may have. No. No? Today is April 18th. It is? Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> all right. I'm lost in, in time and space. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to be at the uh, Cleveland International Beer Fest. That's going to be uh, at the IX Center there. Uh, the, it's a Friday, Saturday. There's going to be, I'm told, over 800 beers from uh, 200 breweries. And it uh, should be a lot of fun. At, on Saturday, I'm doing this uh, VIP uh, beer experience thing where I'm going to host this. And they told me I could select beers to have there special mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, existing list of breweries. Um, that'll be on Saturday. And also on Saturday, uh, we'll do the uh, awards uh, ceremony from 2 to 3.30. And uh, Friday the 13th, that's going to be a live Bruce Strong from yes. the uh, main stage there. Uh, Palmer and I will be uh, there 8 to 9 p.m. And you get tickets at uh, uh, www.ixbeerfest.com. It's going to be a rocking good time. Yeah. Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland rocks is is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. That's the so, rumor going around. Right. You guys have to tell us if it's true. We yeah. Will, we will make it so. We will. There you go. We will. I, I've never been to Cleveland, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually getting in like a day early, staying a day later. You know me. I'm 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 a man of the people. I like to. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to. What, what, what kind of laugh was that? Uh, I'd like to hang out and uh, enjoy, uh, absorb the love and joy that is. Uh, the culture. Of the culture Cleveland. of Cleveland. The Cleveland culture. Like well, uh, be sure to go on that big steamship they have. I hear it's pretty cool. The Cleveland Steamer? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'll look for that. I'll, when I get there, I'll ask people if, where I would find a Cleveland Steamer. Jome Brew in the chat, mm-hmm. uh, he asked, what water treatment or part of the water profile would affect the turbidity or cloudiness of beer? Uh, well, um, the cloudiness is, is enhanced by a couple of ions. Um, tin for once, uh, for one, uh, manganese for another, um, some of your, your transition metal ions, uh, can contribute to haze and, uh, turbidity. Now, I, 
well, I should draw the distinction that turbidity is like uh, cloudiness, a lack of clarity of the water uh, going in. Haze um, tends to talk about the lack of clarity of the beer. But um, the if you get a source water that has um, high levels of transition metals like manganese, iron, tin, zinc, um, you'll tend to uh, throw more haze in the in the finished beer. Mm-hmm. And, and would any other uh, uh, mineral salts um, affect maybe you know the protein levels or the uh, you know tannin levels in the beer? No, uh, even well, even uh, something in the mash. Yeah, well, it, the lack of calcium will. Uh, prevent a beer from clearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's... Well, and even from yeast from flocculating, if it's yeah. low enough, they won't flocculate. And right. And uh, you have a lot of dusty yeast in suspension. Yeah. There. So, you know, it, one one cause of, of turbidity or, or clair, uh, lack of clarity in the beers is, is can be not having enough calcium uh, going into the mash. Um, but uh, as far as other minerals, uh, you know, uh, generating uh, loss of clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been mainly your transition transition metals. Mm. Okay, great. Here's kind of a long one uh, on open fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me say, uh, I was watching Brewing TV the other day, so this kind of comes from one of their segments on open fermentation. It says the Northern Brewer guy Jeremy seemed to be saying that the increased exposure to air changed the yeast character in open fermentation. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he said that the wort was protected from contamination and oxygen exposure by a blanket of CO2. These two things seem to be mutually exclusive. Jeremy was fermenting 20 gallons in a vessel the size of a bathtub. So he had a lot of surface area and many a couple of inches of depth. Mm-hmm. Given the role the fermenter plays and how the yeast behaves, how much of this increased ester slash phenol production was a result of the fermenter shape? Well, I, you know, I haven't seen that, uh, what did you call it, Brewing TV? Brewing TV. Yeah, uh, it doesn't sound very interesting to me. doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, so, um, you know, that being said, I, I can't really comment on what was actually in the episode. But, um, <clears throat> uh, you see, and some people can take me seriously now, you know. <laughs> like, oh, you're bashing Brewing TV. Um, no, they're very handsome young <laughs> Yes, very that. handsome, very handsome. Especially that chip. Mmm. He's slicing off a big piece of that chip. Uh, Looks like you already did. <laughs> I love um, You know, when, uh, you know, it may not be the air contact or, you know, increased oxygenation that he was talking about, but rather, you know, loosely talking about increased surface area. Right. You know, more exposure to the atmosphere above, not exposure to air, but... You know the, uh, the y- your cooling rate happens differently. Mm-hmm. You know uh, where the cooling is coming from happens differently. The amount of uh, CO two uh, CO2 that's trapped. The uh, the um, head pressure is much lower. Uh, things like that that will affect uh, the flavor of the beer uh, considerably. So I, I think you know maybe he's going along those lines. Now, if he had it open. And no CO two evolving from the uh, from the the wort, and it's open to the air. Yeah, you're going to pick up more oxygen initially because 
the majority of the oxygen you get into uh, your wort is based off of surface area. And even when you bubble those small bubbles, it's really not, you know, doing a whole lot. It's how big the surface area is. Mm-hmm. And if you're exchanging that surface area by, by turning the, the wort over through bubbling, that's what's getting oxygen into the wort. So if you have a nice, large, broad surface and that's exposed to the air, that's actually going to pick up a lot of oxygen right there because that surface area is huge. So you're getting more oxygen into the wort. Maybe more than you would have otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, depending on your methods and the surface area of your fermenter. Even if and, you have an active ferment pushing. Well, active, then no, then you're okay. not, you're not really not getting oh, okay. anything there. Um, you can get a little bit, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's the, the main thing is that initial, you know, would make a change and, you know, the amount of heat that's being retained and, you know, head pressure and things like that are all going to change, uh, you know, the flavors that you get out of fermentation. So I think that may have been what they were referring to. I, I, don't, I don't know. Brewing TV is great, but I haven't seen that episode because I wasn't in it. So it's, Well, yeah, well, yeah. You're a lot like me. Right, exactly. If you don't mention my name or show me at all, I don't care. Right. Why would I watch yeah, it? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, here's a question from Steele, and I asked this because he just walked away from the chat, so I like to screw people over sometimes. Question is, is it better from a technical standpoint to brew at five gallons as opposed to one-gallon batches? Or would there be some sort of unwanted side effects that might come up? No, you know, I, I think if you can keep everything else the same, you know, if your ratios are the same, height to to width and all that, as far as in the fermenter goes, mm-hmm. and your temperature control is constant, and your pitching rates are the same, and all that's the same, then, you know, the beer should turn out the same. Right. The the difference the the reason people don't do a lot of one gallon brewing is it's all the same amount of effort to brew one gallon as it is five gallons, and one gallon you can drink that pretty darn quick. Yeah, you know uh, if you're doing test batches, you know I can see that, but again it's it's hard to keep it exactly the same proportions and ratios and right. effects. So it may taste slightly different than you know doing it at five gallons, but there's no inherent reason why. Uh, it wouldn't work. Yeah, and was that um, a linear? So you just take five gallons and put it in in uh, uh, beer smith, let's say, and yeah. just scale it down to one gallon, or would you just divide everything in fifths? I well, mean, essentially, that's pretty a, linear. Yeah, divide everything in fifths. Okay. Yeah. Well, because I heard like if you take a five gallon batch and you just bump it up to twenty gallons, just do mm-hmm. the math, straight math. Mm-hmm. It's not you're not going to get the same beer. Yeah, but a lot of times that's because of the process has changed. You know, you're doing different boil, you're doing, you know, everything's, and sometimes you're getting increased utilization of the hops, things like that, or your mash is different and you're getting different utilization there because the equipment's different. Now, if you're scaling up to, you know, from a five gallon batch to a 50 barrel batch, then you'll see, you know, even more of a difference. Yeah. And there, you need to adjust more. But when you're going five to twenty, it's eh. It's it, nominal. It's it's more about the process than anything else at that point. All right. Great. Uh, married to the hops again in the chat room. Do you have to worry about DMS when you add liquid malt extract at the end of the boil? What is the benefit of doing it this way versus just adding it through the boil? Well, liquid malt extract and or most extract it's already been through one boil a lot of the volatilization has already occurred 
So, um, especially as they're pulling off all that that uh, moisture, yeah, it's uh, you know a big part of the boil is to you know pull off all that moisture. It carries with it a lot of that uh, those right. materials. So yeah, so you you have less uh, DMS or um, diacetyl potential um, coming from that um, from that extract than you do from uh, fresh grain, a fresh mash, fresh wort. Um, so that's why, um, it is not as much of a concern adding extract at the end of the boil and you're doing it that way. So you can, uh, get better hop utilization and less, um, browning of the wort from a long boil at a high, at a, at a high concentration. Okay. Good question. Mm-hmm. And we'll cover more of your questions here in just a bit. We're going to take another quick break and we'll be back right to it. Back after this. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own Magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read. Read your way to better homebrew. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmasters database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmasters Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmasters Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. In April, more beer keeps slashing prices. In February, they lowered the price on ingredients. In March, they dropped their equipment prices. And now for April, they're cutting prices on their awesome beer ingredient kits. Lower prices on the award-winning kits you've come to love, like Pliny the Elder. Stock up for summer. More than 20 kits are on sale now. All is part of their commitment to bringing you the best value in homebrewing with low prices and free shipping over 59 bucks. And on April 15th, stay tuned for the release of a new More Beer Signature Series kit. Yep, 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 yep. Tasty McDole's famous Janet's Brown Ale. They're proud to donate $1 from each kit sold to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Cancer Foundation. Get more than ever this month from your brewing budget at morebeer.com. You're listening to the Brewing Network. 
Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. And, uh, fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select one of your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so essential we can't mention on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type Jamil, J-A-M-I-L, for the free offer code on, upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code J-A-M-I-L at adamandeve.com. All right, back to the questions at hand. All right, this is a good one. Uh, change in weight of, of fermenting beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, John slash Jamil, which he put Palmer first. Nice, oh, nice job bastard. on this guy. No, I don't think we can answer this oh, one okay. today. Next we'll one. push um, that to another show. First off, I love all the work you guys have done for homebrewers. Brew Strong and all the other shows on the BN are fantastic, especially Lunch Meat. I just added that. I really enjoy your books <laughs> and look forward to the East book. While listening to one of your high-gravity shows, an idea occurred to me, and I wanted to see if it's solid. Specific gravity tells you the density of your beer compared to that of water, which is mass over volume. So as your beer ferments and the gravity drops, either the weight is dropping, the volume is increasing, or both. If the volume increases, that would be a curious tidbit, but not very helpful. However, if the weight was changing, perhaps from CO2 blow-off, and you had a good enough scale, you could watch the progress of your ferment in real time without having to take samples. And he does some crude math. So he goes, five gallons of pure water weighs Mm. about 40 pounds. Five gallons of a 1040 wort weighs about 41.6 pounds. Five gallons of a 1010 wort weighs about 40.4 pounds. 1.2 pounds seems like a noticeable difference even for such a small beer. 10 Mm -hmm. gallons going from a 1080 to a 1020 would be almost five pounds less. Mm -hmm. I'm planning to play around with this idea on my next brew. If I find something interesting, I'll follow up. But I'm not really sure that my crude experiment would be enough to prove this either way. So I wanted to bounce the idea off your learned minds. Well, thanks for your time, Chris. You know, that's a great question. It's just yeah, it's you know, the reality of what you're doing is just measuring uh, CO2, the weight of CO2 that has been lost. Right, the CO2 leaves, mm-hmm. and that's what you're measuring is is the loss of CO2. I'm not sure what kind of precision you'd need. What would you need on that, John? As far uh, as uh, you probably you could probably ballpark it with uh, tenths of pounds. But you know, tenths I, of pounds. Yeah, you'd probably uh, you could do it. Certainly, grams, with grams. would be best. Yeah. yeah. But you also got to consider not only is CO2 being lost, mm-hmm. I mean, is, is carbon being lost as CO2, mm-hmm. but you're also generating yeast mass mm-hmm. as part of this, you know, overall mass transfer of right. sugars. Uh, but, but the only thing leaving the vessel, everything else is being maintained. Um, you know, you're not you're not destroying matter. Um, right. You know, you are giving off heat. You know, but uh, well, he's, I mean, he's saying the the only change in in weight has got to be um, through loss of CO two, though. Right, and he was saying as part of you know he's saying ten eighty to ten ten or uh-huh, 10, uh-huh. you know about five pounds of mass loss based on that change in gravity. Oh but, yeah, right, right, right. So but, the, the yeast is right. His numbers. So he's going to actually have a percentage 
of that gravity mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. lost to CO2. I don't know how much that is. We'll have to do the math. Right, right. <coughs> how much CO2 is generated. And that, that should be uh, something that could be calculated. Yeah, it's, it's probably in some of the, some of the textbooks. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, however much a, a mole of uh, CO2 is and, uh, yeah, it's like 40 and then grams per how many moles are like lost. And it should mm-hmm. be, should be uh, something that could be calculated. And you should be able to do it with uh, a great deal of precision and know exactly what the, uh, uh, you know, what the content is. But, again, I guess uh, what throws a wrench in it is the amount of yeast that was produced from that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to grow some some yeast. Um, but you could kind of see when the, uh, I guess when the weight stops changing, um, mm-hmm. you know, but you could also see when it stops bubbling, if you're doing a bubbler or something like that. Yeah. The interesting thing, uh, there's a guy, I don't know, uh, he's somewhere in Europe. Uh, he had sent me a, uh, an email showing me in a, a live link to, uh, his fermentation, which he was monitoring the evolution of CO2 out of the fermenter. So he was actually measuring the oh, bubble yeah. counter, mm-hmm. the amount of CO2 coming out. And um, based on the amount of CO2 that came out of the fermenter, he was predicting the gravity of his fermentation and the speed of fermentation, and he had it all charted out. Mm-hmm. He was also monitoring temperature and all this. He has free software to do this. You get the parts off of eBay, and then... Um, you know, you you build the bubble counter out of uh, you know scrap parts, and it was really very cool. the The only difficulty is in counting the amount of CO two, because uh, you know CO two the bubbles change size based off of uh, temperature and uh, you know, barometric yeah. you know barometric pressure things like that. So um, it's hard to precisely count it unless you're counting those other things in. So there's some slop in 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 getting exactly the the thing, but it was very cool and uh that's what he uses to track his uh his uh, fermentations i think he he's able to change he's able to look at it on the website and mm-hmm. see what the what the temperature is and all that and uh if he decides that uh it needs to be colder or hotter he can change it there from the website so i thought that was pretty cool um <laughs> and he 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 wanted to write up a, an article and uh, maybe do a bruce strong show on it and i told him i told him we would yeah. Cool. Uh, if he wants to, he didn't get back to me. But uh, if he's interested in something like that, I'd, I think that'd be pretty cool. Hey, maybe get Blickman to uh, start manufacturing them. Yeah, that might be might be neat as well. All right, all right. Turisops in the chat room says, "I plan on making a Herms system, and he wants you guys to talk about a minimum flow rate through the heat element chamber versus Maillard reactions from the direct contact with the heating elements." Don't want to slow the flow rate down so low that I may denature or scorch. Hmm. So if you guys know anything about flow rates through those, yeah, it's it's measure you measure it in you know heat per per inch per you know per time. Yeah, sounds like fun. Uh. Huh. I'm not sure what to say. Um. Yeah, I don't. I, it, just it, slow it down until you taste scorchy, and then that's probably and then speed it up. Yeah, that's I mean, is is there? Do you think a, some sort of equation for for pipe size versus oh, temperature? Sure, but there sure is. Yeah, or is it just kind of something you have to I mean, fiddle it's, around? With it's like something that they deal with in you know food process and things like mm-hmm. that. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have the equations to to calculate it out. Um, it'd be, it'd be heat density of the of the element. Right. And 
he conductivity and capacity of the of the wort. Yeah, whatever um, you're running and, past it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and flow rate, dwell time, all that kind of, mm-hmm. to figure out how much how much heat uh, each um, it can take gram, away. Yeah, or before scorching. Yeah, a milliliter of water right. where it would tuck up. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know what. Don't know what that value would be. And it would also depend on you know the the kind of flow you get, whether you're getting some some uh, eddies and and yeah, dead spots laminar like versus turbulent, yeah. right? Yeah. So there can be uh, that can be an issue as well. I think you know, the best thing is to just uh, you know guess at it and try it, and or go to college and learn it and come back and tell. <laughs> right? Yeah. I bet you. I bet you. There's some listener that's like, "Oh, you you morons." Yeah. It's a very simple you know twelve page calculation that uh, <laughs> that this takes. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Why don't we take a break? Um, we're we're running late on on getting our, all our breaks done, and uh, and after that, we'll wrap up. Back after this. I love beer. I'm a brewer. I brew it. I drink it. It's in my blood, really. I'm that guy that pours malt extract on his pancakes. I wish I could just put a good brew in my pocket and take it with me. Now you can. Hey, brewers and beer lovers. Why not eat the energy bar invented by a home brewer using the same ingredients in your brew? Introducing Brew Bar Energy Bars, spelled B-R-U-B-A-R. Malt, oats, vanilla, nuts, cinnamon, coconut. You've put them in your beer, and you'll find them in your Brew Bar Energy Bar. All natural, made with simple ingredients chosen for the highest quality. They're new, different, and have a rich malty flavor and smooth, moist texture, just like a fine craft brew. You can find Brew Bar Energy Bars at BrewBar.com or find a retailer near you. And if you are a retailer, you should contact them and find out how you can sell Brew Bar Energy Bars. Check them out at BrewBar.com. That's B-R-U-B-A-R.com. And follow them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BrewBar. Remember, it's in your Brew Bar Energy Bar because it's in your brew. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah, mother... White Labs. It's all in the vial. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Double Secret Probation IPA, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, Special Rotating Taps, and the BN Army Member Special. Wear your BN gear, get 10% off your beer. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. I've always thought that opening a brewery was a great way to ruin what is the perfect hobby. 
But like most home brewers, I really wanted to see what it would be like to produce my own beer commercially. When I started out, I was, you know, obscure homebrew geek, and being part of the Brewing Network has exposed me to a lot of people with a great passion for brewing. They seem so supportive, interested, and generous with their support. That kind of thing makes you feel like you can succeed at anything. Of course I'm excited. It's frightening. It's terrifying. It's kind of, uh, we've got this rescue dog, and she is completely frightened. So when she comes up to me, she's shaking and salivating at the same time. I feel the same way with Heretic. I'm still a home brewer at heart, and I hope that home brewers always feel welcome at Heretic and able to provide part of the feedback and creativity that makes craft brewing great. The thing that excites me most is the opportunity to put a beer out there that I feel is the best beer I can make and especially get a chance to go and drink that beer with people and see their reactions and get their feedback and hopefully they'll be as excited as I am about Heretic Beer. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're wrapping up uh, a our live Q&A session. We do this uh, as much as we can to try and uh, knock down the backlog of uh, questions and also give you a chance. Good questions. Yeah, and give you a chance to ask them live. Yeah, you know, we look through all the questions you guys have sent to uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And, you know, there's just a ton of great questions in there. And so we feel kind of bad. We haven't been able to get to them all. So we're kind of going mm-hmm. going through them and yeah. uh, trying to hammer them out as, as quickly as possible. But we still need to do our topics because people like the topics too. Mm-hmm. Especially Justin. That's right. He's very right. topical. Yes. Like like, like an ointment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's finish up with the uh, last few questions in the chat and then we'll call it a day. All right. Uh, let me find here mn hazmat in the chat asks uh could the panel please offer their opinions on using hop extract products such as hop shot available from northern brewer ah okay well um have you guys used those before i have not okay no um 
And if am I correct? Am I right in thinking that Hopshot is a uh, alpha acid al- uh, isomerized alpha acid? Extract? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a five IBU in a like syringe that. or something like yeah, that. It's okay. like ten mils or seven mils or something like that. Okay. Um. Well, it, as we as was discussed at the CBC uh, a short time ago, um, the the hop extracts have you know, a, a, a useful purpose in mm-hmm. a lot of today's beers. Um, a lot of the uh, the Imperial IPAs um, kind of almost rely, those commercial brewers will rely on those to help them get the bitterness levels into the beer that uh, they're, they're looking for. Um, it's hard to, you know, to boil uh, that concentration of hops and get, uh, you know, high IBU levels without using some of the extract. Um the extracts also uh, tend to give uh, good foam retention. Mm-hmm. Um, too much, though, can cause, if you were to use solely hop extract for your bittering and, you know, profile, you would tend to get very egg white, uh, you know, cream egg white foam or meringue foam in the beer that would not go away. It would just kind of cling to the glass and, you know, and coat your nose every time you took a sip. So, um well, I think the, the the point being a useful tool, yeah, uh, and the the quality of the extracts that they're doing now, and the CO two uh, liquid CO two extracted and things like that, they're able to uh, separate out different fractions of the hop compounds, and they're able to do you know isomerize, they're able to do you know you know stable ones that won't uh, skunk, they're able to do. Um, uh, you know all these flavors and aromas, the specific oils, and they're getting better and better at it. Yeah. The 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 thing is, you know, I wouldn't use it exclusively to do a beer. Right. But if I had a beer that was a little bit off, and I was like, yeah, you know, it needs to be a few more IBUs bitter. It's you know, it's not quite there. It's, you know, it's, for some reason, it didn't reach where I wanted it to be. Instead of just choking down that five gallons of beer or you know tossing it and trying again i would probably go ahead and buy that and just you know goose it up and then that also kind of helps you validate oh okay yeah that's that's what it needed it needs you know about this many more ibus Mm -hmm. and you know a good way of saving a batch like that same thing with the the aromatic and and flavor Mm -hmm. compounds i think you know if you want to play around with some and get a good idea and then translate that into a recipe i don't see why not yeah Great. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, Joan Brewer from the chat is back again. He goes, can you ask John if stainless 4435 means anything about the type of stainless steel? That is the only marking in my kettle. 4435. 4435. Uh, I wouldn't think so. No, that doesn't ring a bell. Um, stainless steel alloy numbers are, um, well, the the. Stainless three digit. Yeah, they're typically the AISI. That's the American Iron and Steel Institute. Um, the nomenclature is um, three hundred series or four hundred series uh, or six hundred series, um, and three hundred series is what we use for pots and kegs, and that's usually three hundred four uh, stainless. Um, four four three five. It could be. It could be an, from another country, and thereby you know different uh, alloy nomenclature, or uh, just a, a trademark, you know, trade name kind of thing. Mm. All right, easy answer. Uh, here's one from guest <laughs> guest two one seven one six one zero. 
Our guest in the chat made a best bitter with a Mutton's traditional bitter kit. Came out with a metallic taste. And uh, this person's wondering what that could have been caused by. Possibly the age of the kit? Potentially. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, even possibly the can if it was dented or something like that. Or, mm. you know, a lot of times, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, could be process related. Could be water related. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of a bunch little, of things. Yeah. So not necessarily the uh, age of the kit. Yeah, it's not like a well. If it's if you have metallic, it's automatically an old kit. There's a lot right. of variables that go into that. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's another question from the chat. Score sheet comments from competitions can be variable. Do you guys put more stock in the comments from the National Humbers Conference or other comps? What competitions give the best feedback? Mm. So is is nationals. Mm. You know, not necessarily. Right. Okay. No, because you know, there's nationals, idiots everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> national is such a a large competition. Did I say that with the microphone? There's on? three right here. Yeah, uh, that uh, you may get better score sheets from a competition where there are fewer entries and more time to judge the beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, national tends to be uh, a yeah. high pressure situation. Right. right. And, you know, it just depends on, um, you know, given areas and, and some competitions, you know, the, I think the judging and the, you know, how the competitions run, all that, it really, you know, there's a saying, you know, the fish stinks from the head down. Same thing on a competition. You know, if the organizer is a moron, then, you know, generally, you know, I, I don't expect much from the rest of the competition. You know, the, maybe the judges won't be quite as, you know, on top of their game or you, know, you won't get the materials back quickly. The beers won't be stored right. There'll be mistakes in sorting and categorizing, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, so I would worry about that. But, you know, when the when the organizers on top of it, they tend to make sure they got the best judges seated. They got the, you know, they reinforce to the judges how important it is they'll mm-hmm. be sampling score sheets throughout the judging looking at them saying okay this looks good this no this is not a good score sheet go right back to the judge and say hey i want you to you know step up your game a little bit or fix this or whatever it might be they'll actually talk to them yeah. during it saying look you know we have a, a a quality level to maintain and uh you know those you can you can kind of tell the difference uh, you know, on something like that. Um, you know, I always had uh, good results with, uh, you know, America's Finest City down in San Diego. Mm. Uh, I haven't entered in years, so I don't know how, how it's going now, but uh, they always tended to take a lot of pride in uh, making sure things were done right. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other things. Uh, you know, MCAB uh, is come and gone. It's been variable, but I know they're really trying to to straighten that out as well. I know they're putting a lot of effort into the uh, Bay Area Mashers World Cup one. Um, yeah, I've, I've had decent success with those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a time when that was, it was just horrible. It was the, the person organizing was just a goofball and doing yeah. – it was it was a joke. And uh, But the guy that's doing it now, I know he's really on top of it. So, uh, you know, if you had bad bad luck in the, the past with that one – and that's one of the things about – you know, the competitions, the organizers change. 
you know, year to year sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rare that you have something like, uh, you know, the Bay Area Masters one where they're trying to keep the same people in place and yeah. really build something. Uh, same thing for, you know, America's Finest City, some of the others. You get somebody there that's been there 10 years, they take a lot of pride in it, um, you know, then you really got something. So, uh, you know, you might, you know, just ask around people who have entered, you know, look at the list of winners and, you know, pick like the third place people and ask them. Don't ask the best of show winner. <laughs> You're like, yeah, the judging's perfect. <laughs> they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. So hopefully that answers it. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that answers it for me. I don't know about the other guy. Uh, brew chemist in Colorado. He has a really good question. Uh, I have a question about Dacetal Perception. I recently entered the Can You Brew It Mirror Pond clone into a competition and had a judge comment about sensing diacetyl. I run HPLC and GC analysis on my beers, and I know GC is probably gas chromatograph. Mm-hmm. Which What's uh, HPLC? Do you guys know that? High-pressure liquid chromatography. There you go. Uh, and I can tell you that the uh, diacetyl concentration is below human perception. Well, what else can cause false positive for diacetyl? I saved a few of the bottles and tasted it along with the score sheets, which uh, I recommend everybody do, uh, and got a caramel, almost buttery flavor that might have been from the crystal malts. Could that have been the cause? Absolutely. So I've always said, you know, like people making Scottish ales and they boil down the wort to try and uh, get those caramel flavors. It has kind of a weird buttery toffee character to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of judges will say, oh, it's diacetyl. Um the interesting thing, um, you know, I, I don't know how low that level was, but I will tell you there are people that are like super tasters and yeah. will and can pick it up. You'd say it's below human threshold, but they'll still pick it up, and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's like almost every beer is bad for them. I mean, it may have been that, you know, the guy was just totally wrong, yeah. and he's tasting, you know, caramel or whatever it might be. He's reaching and, for something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes people – especially new judges, mm-hmm. they're looking for flaws. The problem right. with the judging program, the way it seems the, to be taught today or in the past, was they're teaching you to look for flaws. They're not teaching you to look for great beer. They're teaching you to look for flaws. And you know everything is a deduction, and you're trying to figure out how not to score a beer perfectly. And it's the, you know, when you do that, everything's flawed. And so if you can't find flaws, then you go ahead and start making them up. I think if we taught judges to look the other way, mm-hmm. you know, what makes a great beer? Oh, this has great beer. This is this is great. This is great. This is great. Then, you know, we'd have a, a different kind of uh, result. And we wouldn't have that focus on trying to nitpick every little thing or make stuff up. So right. that might have been it, you know. And And you never know. It could be any one of those, I think. Excellent answer. That's all from the chat. All right. Good. Good. Another fine Bruce Strong show. We'll be back uh, in two weeks, if you're listening to this on the archive, uh, with, uh, I don't know, we may we may uh, have some interesting uh, yeah, pro-related yeah. stuff coming oh. up. You know, uh, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, things we may be doing here with the show. Uh, if you get a chance, check out BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, good innovative products for for your brewing pleasure. Check that out. Uh, check out the uh, Brewing Network store. We got a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, hoodies, caps, shirts, glassware—stuff you can uh, 
bling out your brewery with and uh, show everybody you're a big supporter of the Brewing Network. And a fashionable dresser. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And uh, don't forget, uh, sometimes all you can do is lay back and go meet Jesus. Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody.